to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan. And today we have on our podcast, um, my friend, Beth Walker. And I'm just going to read you her bio because it's really eloquently written. And I don't think I could do as good of a job as she did. So Beth Walker has partnered with her husband for 20 years in leadership and ministry, both on and off the football field. Beth is passionate about encouraging women to pursue their individual callings from God. She is a contributor to Friday Night Wives and The Glorious Table. On her own blog, Lessons from the Sidelines, Beth offers practical advice for other coaches' wives, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at her family's life as they serve their football players and their community. Beth's first book, Lessons from the Sidelines, released in August 2020. Her most recent study, Embracing Holy Interruptions, How Jesus Used Mundane Moments to Love People Deeply, is a six-week Bible study focused on mentoring. And I'm super pumped about that Bible study that you just sent me the toolkit for last night. I haven't had a chance to look through it really deeply, but I'm excited to dig into it. But welcome, Beth. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. We've uh, kind of started a little bit of a series with last week's episode with Caitlin Chess talking more about kind of the church's role in society kind of at a large. And I know you and I have had a lot of conversations, especially over the past year or so about things like that. And I'm like, you know what? We need Beth in here to kind of talk to us a little bit about some stuff. So let's like kind of jump in. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I definitely think that uh, mentoring plays a role (laughs) with the church for sure. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure to get this study out um, now um, in particular. But um, I think that um, that's one of the spaces we see Gen Z um, is actually begging uh, the church to step in. Um, all the studies, um, Springtide and uh, Barna and Pew Research, whether it's secular or um, coming out of religious organizations, even Lifeway, they're all saying the exact same thing. And they've been saying it for about 20 years now. 20 years of research has all culminated in saying that um, Gen Z is the loneliest generation. And this is information that came out before 2020 even. Um, and they don't um, they don't always see themselves as valued. But when one adult outside of a family member comes alongside them, the percentage jumps exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 60% more see themselves as having worth. And so, I mean, what is an, uh, an adult who comes alongside you, who's not a family member, a mentor. <laughs> and so, you know, it's these spaces where, um, and, and the, what, what was most alarming to me when it came to the springtide, springtide study was that um, this can be the most influential person when it comes to their religious thought, but it doesn't matter what religion they discuss. Mm. And so if they are, if they grow up in a um, evangelical home, but then the person that they are being mentored by is of a different religious persuasion, that will be the person who they lean into. And so this is really a space where the church needs to be stepping up. Yeah. I was a youth leader for a lot of years. And I think about how much effort and time and money and energy we put into programming activities, the sermon, the skits, the worship, all of that, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. But when I look back 20 years later, the people I still have a relationship with that 
um, made a personal connection with are the ones, you know, that I see uh, were mentored, even though it was kind of an unofficial thing. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm not surprised by those statistics at all. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, like very rarely do we say like, oh man, that one skit. I mean, that's the reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same reason, reason why teachers funny. and coaches make such a difference. The ones who come alongside someone. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And you've been working with like college students and high school students, just really invested in the lives of younger generations for a long time. Your husband's mm-hmm. been a, um, a college, high school football coach for years and years and years. And you've chosen to invest in the lives of a lot of women on those campuses. That's how we first met. Um, so you've seen like the millennial generation down to the Gen Z. What is, which generation's at risk right now? What What's what's the problem? I know that we, we keep talking about like the pandemic and all politics and the church is just kind of broken right now in society. Is this the reason? Is is it the Gen Z generation we're losing? Is it millennials? Like, I know you're not going to be like, I'm not an expert, but you're watching it all. So what, what are you seeing? Well, actually, in my introduction, I add a lot of stats because all the experts have been talking about this. And, and so um, I give a lot of, um, hey, here's what the stats have been saying, and here's who you can look to for more research. But, I mean, it, is, it should not be a surprise that uh, the church is losing clout and has been for a very long time. And um, what I did is I modeled um, this study uh, after um, the uh, this. There's these thresholds that um, it's actually InterVarsity has figured out um, as a postmodern skeptic needs to walk through in order to shift from hey I don't trust this like God person at all to like, okay, I actually am going to be a active believer in Christ. And, and so I modeled my study after that, but only because what, what has happened is um, if you look at the statistics, even in the eighties, we used to say a regular church attender was someone who went every week. Well, it became so scary to look at those statistics starting in the 2000s that they they shifted the definition to, of a regular attender to someone who goes once a month. Oh, wow. So even if you look at the statistics, you have to adjust for, okay, now a regular attender is someone who goes once a month. Well, think about it. Are you going to be most influenced by something that you do once a month? or by something you do on your daily basis, or even in a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to be most influenced by the music you listen to and by the TV you watch and by the people who you're interacting with in your work environment and on social media, much more so than a sermon that you listen to once a month or even on a weekly basis. And so, you know, even in that mentoring role, um, the way that um, Jesus mentored is he was walking shoulder to shoulder with people. You know, he was present um, whenever they had a question. And so um, the way um, embracing holy interruptions is set up is you kind of look at the life of the ultimate mentor and you say, okay, how can I, how can I do this? And you're not going to do it for everyone, 
but you know, you're going to do it for the people who show up. And I think actually Megan's a pretty great example of this. You know, when she was a college student, she would pop up, she'd show up at, you know, um, I, my desk was in the library and she wasn't the only one, but you know, she'd swing by. And if she asked a question, it was never a bother. You know, it was, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And you try to answer the question and engage someone. Um, because you wanted them to know that whatever question it was, whether it was um, something that was a spiritual question or not, <laughs> that it was embraced because you cared about them and you cared about what they valued. And um, I think that the church's role, we get stuck in this like, oh, well, you need to come to us and you need to come to us on our terms. And so it just becomes very like boxed in. And where we are the body of Christ, if they're not coming to us, we need to go to them, right? <laughs> so, uh, but I do think like the building of the church, where that's missing, uh, where that the the role of the building of the church could be to be training us up better. Mm, that's good. And yeah, because so I'm thinking, what about the people who uh, don't work on a college campus or right, in a exactly. high school or somewhere where they're around students? How do you recommend that we go to them? What is the practice? Well, and that's. And so that's the challenge is, um, you know, um, and I've, re- I've tried to write a series on, uh, on my blog recently about this, like, how do you find a mentor? How do you be a mentor? And I do, I mean, my point is everyone needs a mentor. And I think in working environments, this is becoming pretty significant. Like Gen Z is looking for mentors and yeah. there's a lot of like, um, how do, how do you find a mentor in a working environment kind of stuff? Um, but the biggest thing is like MOPS um, is a, you know, like you're going to find those, I think they even have like mentor moms, like that's kind of a, 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 a role that they create um, within MOPS. So they have these like intentional roles when you join organizations, but like if you're just in your daily life, you're going to connect with people. And so, um, you know, Jesus obviously had a strategy, right? He was trying, he was building up um, his ministry, but um, you're going to interact with people. So whether it's, um, you know, someone who you used to work with, but now you just enjoy hanging out with, you know, you go out to coffee with them, or um, maybe it's someone who you're in a similar life stage with, um, who you're a couple, you know, you're a couple friends with, and you just go on and, you know, you double date occasionally with, or, you know, it doesn't always have to be this like formal structured thing because the, the original, the first thresholds are just to build trust. When we're talking with someone who's been wounded by the church or who doesn't want to step foot in the church, they just need to know that they can trust a Christian again. Um, and I think that that's the biggest challenge. And, and the thing that I find funny with, especially with Gen Z, they're a little bit more vocal millennials, like they're walking away and they're like, we're angry and we don't want to talk to you. Gen Z, they're like, Hey, we're hurt. And we're telling you exactly why. And it's funny because people are going, Oh no, you're not. No, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but they're going, no, I'm telling you exactly why I'm hurt. And I'm telling you, this is how I feel. And if, and we just have to listen to that. We may, we may not agree with it, but if they're telling us exactly what they're thinking, we should probably believe them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, so that's always a great place to start. And if we don't diminish those thoughts, but instead we go, I hear that. Can we talk more about that? That in itself is mentoring, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just think there's a lot of spaces where 
um, we're probably already doing this and we don't realize it. Um, for us, like Megan mentioned, we had college students over. Um, I think that we, when you're married and you, um, treat your spouse respectfully, I don't, and people observe that that's mentoring. And I just, and I think that we need to remember that when you treat your kid, well, (laughs) that's mentoring. And so I think that, you know, anytime that you're modeling a healthy relationship, you're giving an opportunity to show someone you can be treated this way, or you can, when you are in a relationship, you can act this way. Um, And whether that's when you're, when your children have friends over or um, other people you interact with, but you can also choose to volunteer with your local um, parachurch ministries um, or ministries yourself if you have the time. Beth, this sounds a lot harder though than just going to church once a week. It sounds like I actually have to change stuff about how I live and how I interact with people. And that seems a little frightening. Well, I have to tell you that um, one thing I have um, learned is that the Great Commission is not something we can delegate. And so, you know, I think we're all called to do it. However, I think we all get to, um, we all get to determine how we carry out the Great Commission. And so whether that's just one, you know, with one person at a time or whether that's a bigger group, you know, we do what we can, when we can, how we can. But the point is that we should always be prayerfully considering who's in our life and how we can love our neighbors better. I like the intentionality of that. I think as an Enneagram one, I tend to want to overstructure things. Um, But you know, what happens when you do that is it's less relational. And so that's not actually what they want. They don't want programming. (laughs) They don't want like a scheduled thing. I mean, I like schedules, but not everyone does. And some people might, I mean, if you get another Enneagram one, they might. Well, maybe. (laughs) I just think sometimes uh, we think um, overstructuring or structuring at all replaces the relational component that you're talking about. And it actually makes it a little less messy, a little easier. It's like, no, I've reserved Wednesday nights from six to seven for this, not the call in the middle of the night because my life is falling apart from this, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I love that you're just saying like, just in just awareness, intentionality, like just open your eyes and see who God has put in your path. It's a 24 seven call. (laughs) Yeah. And like, if you're, if you know, if you're going on a walk and someone says, Hey, can I like, if something happened, then great. I'm going on a walk so we can talk about it, but you need to come walk with me Mm. or, you know, or like, I mean, when we lived in Southern Illinois and we had to drive to Walmart and it was like an hour away or whatever it was, it was like, well, yeah, we're mentoring on the road today. <laughs> you know, because that was the time I had. And it was it was fine. It was great. It was helpful actually when I had two kids 20 months apart and I you know the extra hands were helpful. But um, you know, we also had college kids that lived with us. So there'd always sometimes there was extra college kids around and I'd be like, Great, you cook, you clean, you watch the kids, and you know, but it was nice because they were seeing what a home environment was and they were learning a skill and they were asking questions and it was all happening at once. And not everyone gets to do that, but if your neighbor next door um, needs to borrow sugar, which I know like sometimes those things don't happen anymore, (laughs) but our, you know, sometimes they do. Um, We just moved and it's been interesting. Our neighbors have all come out and like welcomed us and, 
brought cookies and, you know, they're just very welcoming and it, it's, it's very nice. And, you know, it's like, Ooh, new people, yay. <laughs> you know, but I think, um, you can engage those people or you can be rude to them. It's always your choice, you know, but do you chat a little longer and remember their names or do you say like, we don't talk to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always a choice. <laughs> I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I <know. laughs> hey, I will say like, I, you know, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs and then I went to college and um, it was a little, it was pretty close to Wisconsin and people would like wave at you as they were like on the sidewalk. And I was like, why is everyone waving? This is so weird, <laughs> you know, so you do have to adjust, but you know, just be a little nicer. Well, I think you're speaking our language here because I, when we first formulated the idea of Dauntless Grace and we thought about like women's ministry and, you know, we thought women's conferences or gatherings and like people can go to one and then they go back to their homes and they go to another one and they go back to their lives. But what does it look like? And it's why we call it Dauntless Grace because it's scary. What does it look like if you actually have to walk this out in community with each other? And that might not be the like generational mentoring maybe that you're talking about. Maybe it's a more peer related um, relationship, but it is, it's scary when you start taking all of this and walking it out in community and you get off of social media or you get out of just the, the one-off events and you start having to figure this out in life Mm -hmm. and it's scarier and it's messier for you Enneagram ones. And it, um, it's, yeah, it's hard. Well, I think that you can do this in a lot of like affinity spaces. So um, like I have several peers who are also authors and we're all, you know, in this space together and you cheer each other on and you learn from each other and you learn from each other's life experiences. As coaches wives, we um, living life in the public eye has its own set of challenges. And, um, you know, we've, we've walked each other through firings and, um, new jobs and, um, adjusting our kids to difficult life environments. And we've had to explain to each other, I guess, or Del and I've had to explain to some of them more than others, like, no, that's not a safe state to live in. And that's, you know, we just can't do that or this or, you know, and had to had difficult conversations sometimes. And, Um, you know, life can be, um, but you do that with people who you have trusting relationships with. And even if they're your peers, you're constantly learning from each other. And so I think always having a posture of humility and always understanding that, um, we're always, we're always learning. Um, even, I mean, I will say like, I, there's a woman here who's like, just a little bit, like, I think maybe even 10, just 10 years older than me. Like her kids are just a little bit older, like just into college, but you know what? I got a, I got a 16 year old. So we're about to enter that phase. And I'm like, tell me everything, you know, (laughs) because we're going to be there just in a few years. And I want to, even though I've watched all of these parents for two decades, send their kids to college. I mean, it's getting closer and those emotions are different. And so to have someone who um, I can lean on a little bit. Like that's, that's significant. Well, I don't know how to talk about relationships and walking life out without talking about the Enneagram a little bit more. So, uh, you have discovered recently, like within the last year or so that you are an Enneagram eight. Yeah. 
Can you talk about that with us a little bit? Because um, if I were just having a one-on-one conversation with you, that actually wouldn't be my first guess. So, yeah. Um, but watching you on social media, I can see where that comes out <laughs> a little bit more. So, just talk with, talk me through that journey of how you discovered that. Well, I was writing a book <laughs> that included the Enneagram, and um, I was really grateful. Um, I wanted so I had phenomenal beta readers when I was writing, um, lessons from the sidelines. And one of the things I got, um, feedback wise was you should really have some sort of like a, a guide, like just like a primer about the Enneagram. And I thought, well, Megan can do that for me. (laughs) So, um, you know, we have like a, a dauntless grace featured, like here's the Enneagram summary in, um, lessons from the sidelines. And, so as we were talking through it, I actually, what, the Enneagram was really significant as far as marriage communication for my husband and I. Like it was one of those like, oh, we've cracked the code on how to talk to each other kind of things. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he's a five. And so, man, that was like, it literally was like unlocking the key. And so um, I, as Megan and I were talking, I was, I was like, well, you know, I'm a two. And she was like, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> you should double check that. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm about to put this in print. I should probably really know this. And so uh, we started really kind of hashing through it a little bit more. And I, what it came down to is I had to dig into the subtypes. And so the, um, the social eight, um, when you're in a, a healthier space, it, 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 there's a lot of the two um, characteristics. And so that's why I think those tests are like what 70% accurate. And, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I really, and I had done a lot of reading and podcasting and what was interesting was Joe Saxton is an eight. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I always like, I always kind of nod along with her and go, yep, this makes so much sense, but I'm not an eight, you know, <laughs> kind of a, um, but the reality is I think there are situations that draw it out of you and, um, George Floyd, I think just drew it out. And so that's what, well, I'd like, if you don't mind, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that because I know that's kind of a more personal subject for you being in an interracial marriage, raising biracial sons. So talk talk us through how this last year has been watching all that play out in social media. Yeah. I mean, I, it's been heart wrenching really. Um, so we, um, I mean, (laughs) when you're married to a bald black man, <laughs> that can be a little, that's a little, uh, uh, you can displace that. But I think, um, for us, it was very, um, it was one of those moments where you hold your breath because there had been enough moments already where, um, in the cycle of, of black men dying, where you kind of go, uh, what what's going to happen here? Who's who's going to say the wounding thing next, and how wounding is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the anticipation of former mentors and people who claim that they love you um, stepping up onto public platforms to say things that are wounding. Um, is you have to brace yourself for it. Um, but in particular, which I think we kind of all saw 
I think because George Floyd was so different, um, what happened in that space was that Ordell's phone didn't stop ringing. (laughs) And so then you have these people who've already shown themselves to be very, oh, well, you're my black friend. um, And I don't really understand these situations. um, But now all of a sudden I want to. um, Asking questions. But then coming back with, here's how you are wrong about your life experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that was, and that just just didn't sell well with me (laughs) because I knew what his life experiences had been, have been, are, and I knew what it was doing to him to receive to be on the receiving end of those phone calls. And because he loves those people, he wanted to sit in those spaces. Well, because he's a five, he can see both sides of everything. Um, And so it was like, you know, and so for me, I'm like, just hang up on them, <laughs> just hang up on them. You know, you don't have to, be, you don't have to be right here. Like, you know, they don't have to be right. Um, But it was, you know, the grace, the grace, and graciousness that he just wanted to approach every situation with um, just because he strives so hard. He can, he can automatically see both sides of every situation, but then it's always his desire to see the other side, which is helpful for me when we're in a disagreement, (laughs) but um, it's just not when I, when I don't want to see the other side, but also when a situation feels very, um, very one-sided. I mean, I think it was Esau Macaulay who said recently, like, there's just some situations where you don't have, there's not a center here, you know, or maybe it was Justin Gibney, but one of them was like, there's, I mean, there's just not a center that we need to strive for in this situation. And so, um, but it was, um, I, but at the same time, I came out of that, I came out of that season and, and, and then, you know, our kids are old enough that um, they were very aware of everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was very difficult in a lot of, in a lot as well, because you, not that we wanted to protect them, but at the same time, it was like, you just couldn't, you couldn't get away from it. <laughs> You know, you're like locked in your house and you're, <laughs> uh, you're locked in your house and, and, and there's just only so many questions you can answer and, um, to not be able to answer them well, uh, because the answers, you, because you're trying to filter the answers. I mean, these are people, your kids have grown up with caring about as well. (laughs) And so, um, or being told, you know, Hey, this is a significant person in your dad's life. Um, you know, and now, now we're weeping, (laughs) you know? And so that's, you know, you're, I mean, they can connect the dots on that. They know what that means. And so, um, yeah, so that was difficult, but, um, it was also, I mean, it was surprising to see some people really step up in some spaces and, Um, But even, you know, it was sad to see 
former athletes who had, you know, I don't know if there was a shift or if they just were good actors when they, you know, and you just don't know, but it, it does make you kind of wonder like, man, you were in my home. Like were my kids, were my kids safe when, when you were in my home? Because you're saying some stuff now that I'm just not sure we were even safe. Um, you know, the way you're threatening people's lives. Um, so, I mean, people got really crazy uh, with what they were saying. So, um, you know, I just think, um, I think we forget that words are truthful. Um, and what we utter in those first moments are actually, I mean, scripture speaks about it. Like, you know, what we utter is that's what's the, in the depths of our heart. And so, um I just think uh, people, people were real, but at the same time, I came out of that going, I'm grateful to finally, you know, if there was ever a question here, like there's no questions anymore. Right. (laughs) And as an eight, um, you know, safety is a big thing. And so, you know, and, and I'm, I've kind of had to work through like, okay, I don't want to have like safety tags on people, <laughs> but I have like, I I've filtered out some social media things and yeah. okay, you know, you're not safe. You're not safe. You're not, you know, like I know there's like acquaintances, but for me, I'm like safe, safe, safe. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, but, you know, I do think that there's, you know, for our kids or for whatever, the saddest part was the, we're surrounded our former home, uh, we've moved, uh, just not too far, but we had a phenomenal neighbors and none of them are Christians. Mm. Um, but the first thing they all did was check on us. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Uh, and that's not what our church did. And that's not what happened, uh, with any of our, um, Christian friends. (laughs) Well, I I think that that is just an example of how we've kind of come full circle in this conversation where if we stay kind of separated and isolated in our own little bubbles of whatever our belief system is, then it's easy to stand up and just shout things. But when we can really dig into relationship and mentoring and community with each other, it, it, like Deidre said, it gets a lot messier, but it, it gets a lot harder to hold so tightly onto those things that we're just up there shouting. And we can start seeing how it really affects the people when we're living life with people. Yeah, so yeah. I think that is so important, not just for Gen Z, but for the Gen Xers, for boomers. I mean, for us millennial, well, me millennials, you guys probably aren't, but um, for us to just have people who are like, I'm going to do life with you. And then let's work through these issues together. Let's talk about this rather than just holding so tightly onto what we perceive to be real when we're not really living out those experiences for ourselves, you know? Yeah. And we're, you know, words matter. Yes. And no one's going to be perfect with our words. Um, I'm going through the Bible recap this year, reading through it. And I think it was Sunday's reading um, Solomon and in first Kings eight, there's like this part where he's dedicating the temple and he like, he talks about how the temple's going to last forever. And, you know, we know that's not true, (laughs) but then he also prays this like amazing prayer for the foreigner and like, you know, ask God, he says, like, we know that, you know, 
like foreign people are going to come and they're going to see your glory. And we just, and we want them to, um, to know you and like what a prophetic and profound prayer. Um, and he didn't even realize the, the depth and and how long lasting that prayer would be. And so where, and you can see like the juxtaposition of the wisest man in the world. He thinks the temple he built is going to last forever. And yet this prayer, maybe he doesn't even think about like the, the significance of the centuries that it will last. And yet that's the thing that lasted. And so, you know, the buildings will fall, but the words and relationships are, and God t- speaks to that, but we need to remember that as well. That's good. So Beth, as we wrap up here, how can we get our hands on your Bible study or your book lessons from the sidelines? Mm-hmm. So everything's available on, um, Amazon. I've a, um, and then I set all the links on my website as well on a little shop page. Yeah. So um, for our listeners, if you go to dauntlessgrace.org into this podcast episode, there'll be show notes where we'll have all of that linked for you. Um, but I want to get my hands on that Bible study because I think that'll be good. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that and just opening your heart to us. Um, I know that it's just been a really, it's really great to see your face again um, and to hear your voice. So I just appreciate your your vulnerability that you've shown on social media um, and also just the strength with which you approach life. I think it's an admirable quality. So, well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the work you ladies are doing. I hope to be able to connect with you more deeply soon here. Maybe in November at our retreat. Yeah, maybe we will (laughs) see see how the football season goes, I suppose. (laughs) Thank you so much. What a pleasure to meet you and to have this time with you. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for information and pricing about individual coaching sessions. And we even offer virtual and in-person staff training opportunities for your organization. You can also follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org. And while you're there, check out our retreat for this November 2021 in Colorado. We have registration live and we would love to see you there.